This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Harry Houdini had business to attend to. It was a few days before Halloween 1924, but he wouldn't be performing any magic tonight. This stop in unseasonably warm San Jose was a detour from Houdini's national performance schedule. His car pulled up to a Victorian mansion where he and two other magicians were greeted by the Brown family. They owned the house and were Houdini's tour guides for the evening. From the exterior, it was clear that it was no ordinary home. It rose four stories with beautiful spires and ornate accents. It occupied more land than the eye could see. This was the Winchester Mystery House, and it was the perfect location to put his theory to the test, that ghosts aren't real. But as Houdini and his friends weaved through the interior of the labyrinthian home, an unsettling feeling washed over him. The Browns guided them past staircases that led to nowhere, rooms with windows on the floor, and doors that opened to nothing. Then they were ushered into the seance room, a space that somehow had one way in and three ways out. Everyone took a seat at the table in the center of the room, and the door shut behind them. What happened during that seance has never been revealed. Houdini set out to prove that spirits and ghosts were figments of the human imagination. And yet... When Houdini left the Winchester Mystery House that evening, even his skepticism was shaken. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know, but in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unexplained Mysteries for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. 
You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. This is our first episode on the Winchester Mystery House, a 24,000-square-foot mansion in San Jose, California, built by widow and heiress to the Winchester Repeating Arms Company, Sarah Winchester. This week, we'll explore the tragic life of Sarah Winchester before her move to California. We'll then take a peek inside the Winchester Mystery House and the intensive process it took to build the home, as well as the unsettling rumors regarding what was really happening inside the home and the head of Sarah Winchester. Rumors of ghosts and a woman gone mad. Next week, we'll explore a few theories surrounding Sarah Winchester and her mystery house. Was Sarah Winchester suffering from severe mental illness? Was the house an homage to her late husband? Or did she build the house to appease the ghosts of those killed by her husband's invention, the Winchester rifle? The Winchester Mystery House has been a tourist attraction since 1923, one that's dumbfounded anyone who dares walk its twisted halls. But few know the story behind the woman who built the house, and even fewer know what went on behind the closed doors when Sarah Winchester was alive. Sarah was born in the charming New England town of New Haven, Connecticut in 1839 as Sarah Lockwood Party. She was the fifth of seven children, and her family was lucky enough to be middle class in what were otherwise unstable times. In 1847, when Sarah was eight years old, her father, Leonard Pardee, opened what came to be a very successful carpentry business. In 1850, with his pockets freshly lined, Sarah's father moved the family to Court Street, a center for art and commerce in New Haven. The area was industrial, buzzing with horse-drawn carriages, gift shops, and small factories. For many, it was vibrant and exciting, but for shy little Sarah, it felt chaotic and overwhelming. The parties moved in across the street from another family new to the neighborhood, the Winchesters. The family included Mr. Oliver Winchester, his wife, and three children. Like Leonard, Oliver had been in the carpentry business, but he'd recently refocused his trade and now owned a clothing store. The parties and the Winchesters became fast friends. The children from each family paired up nicely with one another according to age. But 11-year-old Sarah never found a match. She kept to herself. She didn't relate well to other children, including her own siblings. Instead, Sarah took an extreme interest in her father's work. As far back as Sarah could remember, she found beauty in his carpentry's craftsmanship. But when Leonard started applying Victorian trends to his work, Sarah fell in love. It was the subtle details like spindles, moldings, and turrets that she found so charming. And her father found them so profitable. In 1853, Leonard was able to resettle the family into a much larger home just a few blocks away. Sarah lived there throughout high school and college when she attended Yale University. She only left the home in 1862 because she was married off. The Party family had stayed in touch with their old neighbors, the Winchesters, through the local church. 
Leonard and Oliver decided to arrange a marriage between 23-year-old Sarah and 25-year-old William Winchester. William was well-educated, cultured, and had a good head on his shoulders. It didn't hurt that he was being primed to take over the Winchester's clothing company. Sarah was the daughter of an affluent carpenter. She was educated and beautiful. Though they'd never been close, there was no reason for either party to object. The couple was married on Tuesday, September 30th, 1862, during the height of the Civil War. The day was a breath of fresh air, a welcome distraction from the news constantly being delivered from the battlefields. As a wedding present, Oliver Winchester promised to have a home built for the newlyweds. The war made it difficult to procure building materials, so Sarah and William moved in with his parents while waiting for the home to be finished. Life was perfect for the first two years. Sarah loved being part of a new family. She stayed close to the Winchesters even after the home was finished and William and Sarah moved in. But in 1864, things took a dark turn for the family. William's older sister, Annie, died abruptly after giving birth to her third child. It was a devastating loss, one that initially seemed like it could never be overcome. Then, two years later, in 1865, 25-year-old Sarah discovered she was pregnant. Despite their arranged marriage, William and Sarah were very much in love. They were overjoyed by the news, but after what happened to Annie, they were worried about Sarah's safety. But for Sarah, the pregnancy was actually a good excuse to stay inside. She was a homebody. Social affairs often caused her anxiety. All she needed was her husband. In June of 1866, Sarah and William had their first baby girl, Annie Party Winchester, named after William's late sister. But soon they started to think that maybe the name or the family was cursed. Over the next few weeks, little Annie was having trouble feeding and started rapidly losing weight. The family physician diagnosed her with marasmus, meaning the inability of the body to make proteins and absorb nutrients. Unfortunately for the Winchesters, there was nothing they could do. On July 25th, Sarah and William lost their daughter to starvation. The one-month-old was buried in a tiny casket in Evergreen Cemetery right near her aunt and namesake. Two Annies gone too soon. To say Sarah and William were heartbroken would be an understatement. Their lives spiraled out of control. Sarah became even more reclusive. William drowned himself in work. By now, William was essentially running his father's clothing factory. But he also started taking an interest in managing his father's other investments, like their shares in the Volcanic Repeating Arms Company, a company that produced one of the first-ever revolvers. When the arms company was near bankruptcy, the Winchesters stepped in and took over. They hired a mechanic named Benjamin T. Henry to design a hybrid of the classic rifle and the repeating revolver. Out of this, history's first repeating rifle was born. The rifle could fire 15 rounds in under 15 seconds. It had more power than anything on the market. Confident that there would be high demand, the Winchesters started to mass-produce the rifle. 
They hoped Union military officers might include it in their arsenal. But there were problems. The gun's magazines would rust in rain, causing its cartridge to jam. And due to its flaws, the government only purchased 2,000 rifles during the war. It wasn't enough. So, in the 1870s, the Winchester Repeating Arms Company turned its attention to global markets in hopes of boosting sales. And William was sent overseas to help push the product. William couldn't help that his responsibilities were growing, but Sarah was now distanced from her husband, both literally and emotionally. He had been the only thing keeping her afloat after the death of their daughter. To make matters worse, her father had fallen ill with a crippling spinal disease. And as William proved his competency overseas, he was drawn further into the weaponry business. He was made secretary of the new Winchester Repeating Arms Company. But this new position required him to spend even more time away, this time in Bridgeport, 20 miles from their home in New Haven. Sometimes he'd be there for days on end. In 1869, Sarah's father, Leonard Pardee, lost his battle to spinal disease and passed away. Sarah just couldn't seem to catch a break. However, her relationship with William strengthened after her father's passing. They had known each other since childhood and trusted each other to be there in the darkest of times. And Sarah continued to be supportive of her husband, even in times of distance, which happened more often than Sarah would have liked. The Winchester Repeating Arms Company was acquiring contracts from overseas markets, some of them worth millions. They even expanded into ammunition to meet demands. In the wake of the growth, they decided to open an office in San Francisco to oversee sales on the West Coast. By 1876, the Winchester Repeating Rifle became an icon of life in the American West. To many, it symbolized the pioneering culture that was heavily ingrained in the American spirit. It became a staple, a necessity along the American frontier. It's nearly impossible to say exactly how many deaths were caused by Winchester rifles, though it is safe to say that the number of gun-related deaths grew exponentially, in part due to the Winchester's invention. But business is business. And by 1880, the Winchester Repeating Arms Company had a net worth of $3 million, or around $75 million today. With that fortune, Sarah and William built a beautiful brand new mansion that sat on a hill overlooking the city of New Haven. It was their own small kingdom. Together, the couple bonded over the design, construction, and customization of the home. Everything seemed to be looking up. But before long, everything once again came tumbling down. In May of 1880, only a few months after building their home, 41-year-old Sarah lost her mother. Then, in December, William's father, 70-year-old Oliver Winchester, passed away from a series of health issues. Then, in March of the following year, Sarah lost the one thing she had left. Her husband, the love of her life, William Winchester. He died at the age of 43 from tuberculosis. Sarah was devastated. 
They were once on top of the world, with so much left to conquer. Where would she go from here? 41-year-old Sarah Winchester was now one of the richest widows in America. She was worth the equivalent of around $500 million today. The combination of her pain and her wealth made for a very peculiar form of mourning. She moved across the country to start fresh, and she started building one of the most elaborate and ominous houses in American history, the Winchester Mystery House. But it wouldn't be completed until after Sarah Winchester was dead. Coming up, Sarah Winchester gives interior design a whole new meaning. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. By 1881, Sarah Winchester had confronted enormous tragedy. In quick succession, she had suffered the loss of her sister-in-law, her infant daughter, her father, her mother, her father-in-law, and then her husband. To some, it seemed as if Sarah Winchester was living with a curse. At first, the reclusive 41-year-old decided to leave her home in New Haven and retreat to one of the family's beachfront properties in Connecticut. But Sarah couldn't find the healing she so desperately searched for. She yearned for a complete change of scenery and to step out of her comfort zone. So, on what some believe was a spiritual search for meaning, Sarah spent the next few years traveling through Europe. There's not much documentation of Sarah's time abroad. It's likely she was inspired by the Victorian architectural designs in the United Kingdom, something that would have reminded her of her father and possibly kept her there longer than anticipated. Sarah spent some time in France studying architectural landmarks like the Chartres Cathedral. The church bore plenty of unique features like staircases that led to nowhere. Eventually, in 1884, Sarah returned home to another loss. Her eldest sister, Mary, had passed away. By then, Sarah may have been numb to grief. She may have even started to believe herself that their family was suffering from a curse. Sarah Winchester's biographer, Mary Jo Ignafo, hints at this in her book, Captive of the Labyrinth. She claims that it's possible that Sarah Winchester turned to the aid of a medium in the early half of the 1880s. Perhaps the death of her sister convinced Sarah to seek guidance from a higher power, or search for a message from the great beyond. Or perhaps she missed her family and wanted any chance to speak with them again. This kind of psychic activity was rather common for the times and probably more socially accepted than it is today. Arranging a meeting with the dead, whether through a spiritualist or a medium, wasn't considered superstitious. It implied that you had faith in an afterlife. Allegedly, one medium told Sarah that her husband was trying to reach her from beyond, and 
that he had a message for his loving wife. According to the medium, William advised Sarah to leave Connecticut and move out west. Their family suffered from a terrible curse placed upon them by spirits killed by Winchester rifles. If she wanted to live, she needed to build a house that could appease them. Its construction could never cease, or Sarah would meet her own grisly fate. Shortly after this alleged visit with the spiritualist, Sarah packed up her things and moved out west to start a new life in California. Why exactly Sarah Winchester chose the Golden State is a bit of a mystery itself. Perhaps it was as far away from New Haven as she could get without moving out of the country entirely. Perhaps the state epitomized the idea of the American dream. It was the time of the gold rush. There was new commerce, warm weather, and possibly the prospect of a brighter future. Not to mention there was an abundance of open land waiting to be developed. In 1886, when 47-year-old Sarah Winchester arrived in what is now Silicon Valley, she was blown away by the sprawling pastoral landscape. There she met a man named Edward Ned Rambo. He was an agent with the Winchester Repeating Arms Company's San Francisco branch. Sarah fell in love with the ranch-style property that Rambo owned. Rambo told her that she was in luck. A neighbor was selling something similar. The visit changed Sarah's legacy forever. The eight-bedroom home was nestled in a valley surrounded by rolling hills. Even though Winchester felt that the one-story farmhouse was rather modest, she purchased it and the 45 acres it sat on for what would be around $350,000 today, a drop in the bucket for the multimillionaire. Sarah had decadent plans for the farmhouse. She hit the ground running and began turning the home into a stunning work of art. Sarah allegedly hired two different architects to help her with the design, but neither shared her ambitious vision. They shot down many of her grand ideas, so Sarah Winchester decided she would do it herself. She was by no means an architect. She had completed pet projects in the past and helped with the designs of their New Haven home, but this endeavor drastically exceeded her skill set. That didn't stop her. Sarah drew up her plans and hired carpenters to begin construction right away. Sarah designed the brand new second floor as a series of apartments to house the family she had left when they came to visit. She decorated the ceilings with faux finishes, stencils, and a variety of moldings, all inspired by her time overseas, German light fixtures, English wallpapers, French portraits. Between 1890 and 1900, Sarah's modest farmhouse rose to seven stories of elaborate Victorian mansion. Sarah slowly, continually added more and more elaborate pieces, like stained glass windows and a Venetian dining room. There was a conservatory, a carriage room, and a grand ballroom. She even built a seance room. She handpicked every detail of the home. Each room was its own work of art. It seems Sarah Winchester found great solace in building the Victorian mansion, that it was a way to reconnect with the memory of her carpenter father, and that it reminded her of building her New Haven home with her late husband, William. But with joy came frustrations. 
Because of Sarah's lack of experience, there was never a blueprint for the home, and things started to get muddled. Rooms were designed piece by piece, which led to a maze of halls and nonsensical design elements. Staircases led to ceilings, doors opened to walls, and windows were placed anywhere. Luckily for Sarah, her problems were never financial. She had a bottomless pit of wealth to accommodate her mistakes. An 1897 article in the San Jose News claimed that the main cupola of the house was pulled down and rebuilt 16 times before it was satisfactory. But the mistakes also kept Sarah occupied. Aside from her favorite niece, Marion Daisy Merriman, who moved into the mansion in 1888, the house was mostly made up of employees. Sarah reportedly had 18 servants, 20 gardeners, and countless construction workers employed around the clock. And Sarah was apparently a generous boss. She was known for paying her workers an unusually high rate. She may have even bought a few of them homes in the area so they could be closer to work. As long as Sarah lived, she made changes and additions to her Victorian funhouse. It ultimately measured 24,000 square feet, almost half of a football field. Today, it has 10,000 windows, 2,000 doors, and more than 160 different rooms. There are 47 stairways and 47 fireplaces, six kitchens and 13 bathrooms, but Oddly enough, only one shower. There also happens to be a series of bizarre yet deliberate oddities, like hidden passageways, secret hideouts, and spy holes. During the construction, no one knew what was going through Sarah's mind or why some of the more peculiar details were added. She remained absent from the outside world, turning down all requests to be interviewed. She was hardly ever involved in the affairs of the Winchester Repeating Arms Company, but quietly collected her company shares and inheritance, all of which went into the home, her magnum opus. While it appeared Sarah was making mistake after mistake, there was one design feature that Sarah executed well. She had the house built on a floating foundation, allowing it to shift freely in the chance of an earthquake. And in 1906, the Winchester House was put to the ultimate test. A 7.9 magnitude earthquake hit the San Francisco area. More than 700 people lost their lives, and more than 225,000 people were reportedly left homeless. The Winchester Mansion wasn't spared entirely from Mother Earth's wrath. The quake caused the seventh-story tower to collapse and dozens of chimneys to crumble. The fifth and sixth floors, which hadn't been built securely, collapsed down onto the fourth. As for Sarah, she was known to sleep in a different room of the house every night. When the rumbling stopped, her servants came rushing to her rescue. After considerable searching, they found Sarah trapped behind rubble in a room known as the Daisy Room. They had to dig the 67-year-old woman out. Luckily, Sarah was okay. Her Victorian masterpiece took a hit, and she'd have to move out for a brief time, but the floating foundation ultimately saved its main frame. For Sarah, it was hardly a silver lining. 
she had built the home in the memory of her lost loved ones. Now, it was effectively taken from her as well. It was months before Sarah returned to the property. She spent time away, resting, before returning to the mess. Contrary to popular belief, Mary Jo Ignafo claims that Sarah only made minimal repairs on the home after the earthquake. She couldn't bring herself to keep working. It was too heartbreaking for the old widow, too painful. During this time, rumors began to circulate over the mysterious and reclusive heiress. Her disinterest in rebuilding the Victorian mansion was almost as odd as the house itself. Ridicule started to spawn disturbing theories. What was really going on inside the Winchester mansion, inside of the mind of Sarah Winchester? Was she just suffering from personal demons, or were demons actually haunting her home? Coming up, Sarah Winchester is suspected of being cursed by her late husband's legacy. Now back to the story. On April 18, 1906, a San Francisco earthquake rattled Winchester Mansion and caused significant damage to the property. Features like its iconic central tower, the highest point of the building, were completely destroyed. Afterwards, Sarah Winchester spent time away from her home. She returned a few months later, but while some claim Sarah continued construction for another 16 years, author of Captive of the Labyrinth, Mary Jo Ignafo, argued otherwise. She claimed that the endless construction of Sarah Winchester was only folklore. And after the earthquake, Sarah made minimal repairs. Either way, Sarah's behavior caused the rumor mill in San Jose to churn. The 67-year-old was rarely seen outside the perimeter of her property. Because she refused to speak with the press... Most people had to draw their own conclusions on the reclusive heiress. Prior to the earthquake, reporters theorized that the Winchester Mystery House was an experimental workshop for Sarah to study architecture. But afterward, the story shifted. She had worked nonstop on the construction before and spared no expense. Why was she refusing to rebuild now? Many started to wonder if the old woman had snapped or if she was mad to begin with. Keep in mind, this was a time where journalism was copied verbatim from one published article to the next. It was easy for a sensationalized story to be mistaken for truth. And Sarah and her mansion were getting ripped to shreds by the press. Dozens of labels were given to Sarah. Words like superstitious, snobbish, fearful of death. One of the more wild accusations was that Sarah Winchester was harboring crippling guilt due to the wealth she accrued from her husband's arms company. When the Winchester Repeating Arms Company was at its peak, rifles were seen as a means for survival. They were a household necessity. But at the turn of the 20th century, public perception of firearms started to change. Guns were being seen as a source of unnecessary violence and Lady Winchester became a target for scorn. Maybe Sarah Winchester was living with more than the heartbreak of losing her family. She was living with the guilt of thousands of lives lost to the Winchester rifle. 
she was guilty of profiting off of death. Though Sarah never responded to accusations, the theory became intertwined with another rumor of Sarah Winchester's legacy, her alleged meeting with the dead. Someone either caught wind of or made up Sarah's meeting with a medium. As we stated earlier, Sarah supposedly made spiritual contact with her late husband. He told her to build a giant mansion to distract the ghosts of those slain by the Winchester rifle. If she stopped building, she might die. Those close to Sarah tried to denounce the rumors. One friend stated anonymously, The story about Mrs. Winchester being superstitious and believing that she's going to die when the house, or rather all additions, are completed is all nonsense. People wanted to hear from Sarah Winchester herself. But Sarah Winchester was more than just shy and introverted. She was extremely self-conscious of her physical appearance. By 1910, at the age of 71, Sarah had almost no teeth. Her hands had become misshapen from rheumatoid arthritis. And as public opinion worsened, Sarah's already reclusive nature was driven even further into the shadows. She planted hedges to prevent people from peering into her yard. She avoided having guests. But the added layers of caution only reinforced the belief that Sarah Winchester had something to hide. The rumors got so bad that Sarah even contemplated selling her house. One San Francisco Examiner headline from 1908 read, Woman defies ghosts in selling her house. Sarah and her beloved house were plagued by public speculation. And in 1922, her health began declining. In her final days, Sarah was cared for by her niece, Daisy, as well as a team of support staff. All of the Winchester nurses, secretaries, cooks, gardeners, and caretakers were heartbroken to see the respected boss suffer. Sarah Winchester died on September 5, 1922, at the age of 83, from congestive heart failure, inside the mansion she built. Shortly after her death, the employees of Winchester House were dismissed. None of them spoke publicly about Sarah. Not of her being terrified of death, feeling guilt over her husband's business, nor the Winchester Mystery House being haunted by ghosts. Her assets were divided and distributed amongst her surviving family. Most of the Winchester inheritance was given to her favorite niece, Daisy. As for her beloved Victorian mansion, it would be sold and the profits split accordingly. But selling the house proved difficult. When the house was appraised, it appeared to have little to no value. The statement claimed it was a large frame dwelling in a bad state of repair. At the end of 1922, it was put up for auction and purchased by a local investor for $135,000, roughly $2 million today. A few months later, it was leased to a man named John Brown. He was an amusement park worker known for designing roller coasters. Eventually, he and his wife, Mamie, went on to purchase the home. The Browns played up the allure of the home, its oddity. Soon, they opened the mansion as an attraction. Scheduled tours were given by Mamie Brown herself. 
It's likely that the Browns leaned into the rumors of the house being haunted. They spoke of the ghost that walked its halls searching for Sarah Winchester. In 1924, Harry Houdini passed through town. Despite his knack for illusions, Houdini was hardly convinced that spirits walked among the mortal realm. He believed mediums and psychics were merely charlatans and conmen. And he paid a visit to the Winchester house in hopes of proving his point. But some suggest that dropping by the mansion had the opposite effect. In fact, according to Ignafo's Captive of the Labyrinth, Houdini was quoted saying, Mrs. Winchester has a vast wardrobe of variously covered robes, and she uses a different robe for each spirit. This quote, albeit cryptic, makes you wonder if Houdini himself had a run-in with Sarah Winchester's ghost. Either way, the magician's visit brought even more attention to the mystifying mansion. People from all over the world started to take an interest. In fact, it became such a tourist destination that in 1963, the Winchester Mystery Home was fully incorporated. It soon began offering daily tours. In 1970, the mansion and grounds received some overdue restoration and became an official historic landmark in 1974. New oddities are constantly discovered within the home, like a secret locked room found in 1975. It held two chairs and a phonograph. Whether Sarah Winchester knew about the room or not is unclear. If she did, she built around it entirely as if it didn't exist. The Winchester Mystery House has carved its place in popular culture and remains open for tours. Today, guests can wander the halls of Sarah Winchester's San Jose estate and get lost in its mystery. As for what really happened inside the home while Sarah Winchester was alive, that remains an enigma. For years, people have tried to understand why Sarah built a house that seems so insane to anyone who visits. With many theories suggested, we've chosen to discuss a few major solutions next time. First, the possibility that Sarah Winchester and her home were indeed haunted by ghosts and the heiress used her vast fortune to keep herself safe from a gruesome curse. Or perhaps her demons were more metaphorical. Maybe they only wandered the halls of her mind. It's possible guilt and tragedy consumed the widow to the point of madness, and the mystery house was an expression of her mania, one that made sense only to her. Then, it's possible Sarah Winchester accomplished exactly what she set out to do. Create a work of art that would keep people guessing for centuries to come. Was the Winchester Mystery House an artistic memorial? Or a labyrinthian puzzle dedicated to the secret society she belonged to? Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We'll be back Thursday with Part 2 on the Winchester Mystery House. For more information on Sarah Winchester, amongst the many sources we used, we found Captive of the Labyrinth by Mary Jo Ignafo extremely helpful to our research. 
You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Unexplained Mysteries, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Unexplained Mysteries on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Lori Gottlieb, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Mm-hmm.